Good morning. It's good to see you, even those of you who got here at 20 after. That's okay. Don't worry. I didn't notice. <clears throat> Just kidding. It's fine. As long as you're here. It's good to gather, right? It's good to be together. I understand some of us have to be online. Some of you are online today because you don't have, you know, there's issues that make you have to be there. But, boy, we wish you were here uh, because there's something about gathering together. There's something about worshiping together, right? You guys remember when it was, like, online for several weeks and it was like, worshiping is not the same right? As when you're in this room and like Pastor Daniel said, it gets hot in here. Um, and I'm wearing a jacket. So there's things you do when you're fat. I don't know. If you, amen. Like why lose weight when you can just wear a black jacket? Um, and you're like, but you still look fat. It's like, it's not as bad as it would be. Trust me. Um, so <laughs> welcome to Acts Church. Uh, if you're new, and I know some of you are new, this is a place where, uh, this is a special place. This is a place where we worship God, and I don't mean by place, I, I kind of mean people. We're a people. Uh, the church is not this building. Uh, we were Acts Church when we weren't in this building. We would be Acts Church if we weren't in it again. Uh, the Acts Church is the people that are around you, and these are some very special people. And how do I know that? Because they're here, and because God called them here. And if you're here, that means God called you here this morning. That means he has something to say to you. Maybe you've been kind of fighting with God. Maybe you're a skeptic. Whatever the case is, we're glad you're here. We hope you get to know some of the people around you because, as I said, this, these are special people. They want to get to know you. They want to love you. We do love you. So welcome today if you're new or if this is, you've only been here a few times. So I got married when I was 21 years old. My wife, Tiffany, and I had two children, uh, Corey and Ethan. And I made a lot of mistakes as their father. Uh, it was not as easy as I thought it would be. Uh, it, was, it was harder than I thought it would be, and I made a number of mistakes. Some of those mistakes were just me being an idiot. Some of those mistakes were more kind of uh, based on the fact that I didn't really know how to do it. Okay? And so there were ways in which I did not raise my children properly. And one of those ways was I didn't raise them at what I would call a biblical pace, a biblical pace. And, and what I mean by that is, is that there's a, there's a level of development that I think that we're supposed to have as people that God made us in his image and likeness. And I sort of extended the level of development for my children. Uh, I was very protective when they were young. Uh, both Tiffany and I had concerns about the world and the people in it, you know, just bottom line. And the possible harm that could come to our children as a result even though these concerns were legitimate, uh, I think I didn't always handle it in, in the biblical way. Sometimes I kept my children from experiencing things out of my own fear. There's a story of a fish named Nemo. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a true story, but they did make a movie about it. Um, but I was a little bit like that. I was like Marlon, the dad, who's like, nope, don't do, nope, yeah, nope, just stay here, stay in the anemone. Ooh, I said that word without just stuttering. That was good. I couldn't do it again. I'm not going to try, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the way I was sometimes. Um, I grew up in an environment that was different than the environment my parents grew up in, but not that much different. My kids grew up in an environment that was very, very different from the environment that I grew up in. Uh, I was five years old when I was walking home from school by myself. 
Uh, and we didn't live out in the country somewhere. This was in the city of Orange. There were like gangs and all the weirdos and whatever. Difference is we didn't have 24-hour news cycle, so we didn't know. We thought kids are going to be okay, right? And I was. I don't think I was cute enough to anybody to steal or whatever. Um, but that's how it was, right? From very young age, I'm out doing my own thing. Uh, you know, going out, come home, you know, when the street lights come on, that type of a thing. Um, and, you know, I just run in the streets. When my kids were way older than that, I wouldn't let them go out in the front yard unless we were with them, you know, Tiffany or, or, or myself. And that is a very different way of being a kid and of raising a kid. And as a result, they didn't grow up as fast as I did. There were some good things about that, and there were some not so good things about that. We all, we all want the best for our children, I think. Um, and over time, we have become more and more convinced as a culture that children should be protected, which is true, but also maybe that they should be coddled a little bit. You probably haven't noticed that um, from all the groans that I hear. Uh, not only do we protect them, we coddle them. Uh, we also call people children until much longer than we would have used to call people children. We still call people children at older and older and older and older ages. We've delayed their development as a culture in general. And then we've asked them to act like men and women when they hit, you know, age 18 or whatever it is. Hey, you know, we've treated you like you're four and then maybe like you're seven. Now you're 18, be a man or a woman. And they're freaking out. And then we're making fun of them, you know, as, and I do it too. I'm, I do it too, millennials and Gen Zers. I make fun of you. It's fun. I think we can all laugh about it. But let me just say now, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's the fault of the culture. Now, you may have had parents that did a better job with that. Some did better. Some did worse. But in general, we have kept, we have infantilized them. We've kept them as infants, as children, for a very, very long time. And then when we've asked them to grow up, they haven't had the tools to do it. Because we didn't give them to them. Kept them in the anemone. Did it again. Thank you. Thank you. If, if that's all you came for, you got it. You know, it was... We've been in this series called Identity for a number of weeks. I think this is week eight of this series, uh, eight messages, and you can go back online and watch them if you want to get a better feel for all this. Uh, but we've been uh, dealing with issues related to our identity, our identity as humans, our identity as people creating the image and likeness of God. And we've kind of gone, we did men, we did the identity of a Christ follower, we talked about women last week, and this week, Lord willing, we're going to get into a study this morning on the identity of children. And young people. We like to study the scriptures here. We believe that where you find truth is here, and that if it can't be consistent with what's here, it's not true. Uh, I'm not saying everything's in here. It doesn't talk about every single thing in the world, but it gives us the principles for living that we need. And so we try to study the scripture, and then we try to apply it to our walk with the Lord and our walk in life in this world. Because we need some scripture in our lives. We need some truth in the way we're living our lives. And so that's kind of one of the things we do here. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is little children. Little children. I don't know what the age of this would be, like zero to three, something like that. Very small children, maybe up to five years old. I'm not going to have as much to say about them because our little children are downstairs and ask kids, and they don't watch the sermon down there. So why would I bother talking about them very much, right? Um, I, you know... They're not going to listen. Uh, here, here's the thing. Children are a joy. 
Children are a blessing. Not everyone is called by the Lord to have children. It's not important whether you have children or not. God may call you that, he may not. But for those of you who do and are, or you're an aunt, you're an uncle, you're whatever, children are a gift from God. I love kids. They're, just, they're so different than us. They're not, they're just like, what do we get to do today? Like, <laughs> what's going on? Can I eat that? You know, it's just like, <laughs> which I guess isn't that much different than us, but, uh, right? Kids are great. There are give. Listen to Psalm 127.3. By the way, as I go through Scripture, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you want to use one of those, it'll also be on the screen, or you can use your phone or whatever. You know, don't play Angry Birds, but use the Scripture on your phone. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those Bibles that's in the seats in front of you home with you. We want to give that to you as your gift. You don't owe us anything. We want you to have the Word of God in your home. Psalm 127.3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. They're a reward. They're a gift. That's, that's an amazing thing. We need to remember that. I know that in our culture now, people are having children less and less. They're seeing children more and more as a threat to their own liberty or a threat to their own, the way they want to live their lives. I think Seattle's among the cities with cities like San Francisco and some other cities like that that have very, very low population of children. A lot of dogs, not so many kids, right? And so what, what I have to believe is that there's a whole lot of people who it's not that they're not called to have children, it's that they don't believe that they're a heritage from the Lord and they get from God, but they are. They are. And every one of your little children down there in Acts Kids, that's how we see them. A heritage from the Lord, a gift from God, sometimes a bit of a terror, depending on <laughs> whose number's up. We'll, uh, we'll deal with that later. We'll deal with that later. <laughs> that's why we don't put your names up there, so you can be like, I don't want to. All right. When I was a kid, my dad would often remind me that children are to be seen and not heard. For people today, it seems that children are to be heard really loudly all the time, um, as far as I can tell. I'm kidding. My dad only said that to me as a joke. He was, he was pretty nice to me. Uh, children should be heard. They are hilarious. I don't know how many times you've heard kids say something, but it's some of the, the most funny and joyful things in my life is to hear kids say certain things. Here's a few that, that we have. Um, the kids have said, Adam and Eve had an ideal marriage. He didn't have to hear about all the men she could have married, and she didn't have to hear about the way his mother cooked. <laughs> kids figure it out, right? A Sunday school teacher asked her class why Joseph and Mary took Jesus with them to Jerusalem. And a small child replied, they couldn't get a babysitter. <laughs> That's the experience of this kid, right? That's a, we got to take you with us. We can't get a babysitter. At Sunday school, they were teaching how God created everything, including human beings. Little Johnny, it's always little Johnny, seemed especially intent when they told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. Later in the week, his mother noticed him lying down as though he were ill and said, Johnny, what is the matter? Little Johnny responded, I have a pain in my side. I think I'm going to have a wife. <laughs> Kids, right? They're hilarious. Just imagine little Johnny when he's frightened. He's like, I, I'm not ready for this responsibility. Oh, it's not how it works, Johnny. Um, they take a lot more than your rib, I tell you that right now. <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We should, we should honor our children. They're made in the image and likeness of God. We live in this world that just does not value children like they should be valued doesn't see the importance of children like we should see it. This is the generation that's coming up. This is the next generation of leaders and Christ followers. And they're special. And Jesus thought they were special. Jesus thought they were special. Matthew 18, 1-3. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, 
Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're always saying this, right? They're hoping to say, you, you're, you're, you're the greatest. Thanks for asking. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Mark 10, 13 through 16. Then they brought the little children to him that he might touch them. They wanted the blessing from, from Jesus. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, and he laid hands on them and blessed them. Jesus loved children. You want to be like Jesus? you got to love children. I got the opportunity, my wife and I, um, when we went down to Florida to help the Kiros family after Doug passed away, we got the opportunity to take uh, Doug's grandkids, little Tahani and Elias, to, uh, to Disney World for a day and to the beach. And it was a blast, especially since I didn't change any diapers. Um, <laughs> But it was, it was a blast. I have not been around little kids like that for so long, and they're just so full of life. They cry sometimes, mostly when Tiffany molds them and stuff, but they like me. I'm kidding. They cry sometimes. They need some stuff. And man, they are a blast. They are a blast. They're a beautiful gift from God made in the image and likeness of God. These are his creations. We're supposed to love them like Jesus did. All their trust and innocence, their lack of prejudice, Kids, by the way, aren't prejudiced. We have to teach them that. Their willingness to learn, those are all examples for us. When Jesus says, become like a little child, we got to trust him like a child would, right? We have to approach God the Father with the right heart, and that heart has to be the heart of a child towards a good father. I know not everybody had a good father, but you, you know what a good father is, and that's the heart we have to have. That kind of trust, that kind of love and affection we have to approach the scriptures with the trust and belief that our good father gave them to us. We've got to be more childlike. There is something to learn from these children. And then they become a little older. And at that point, we have a responsibility to teach them. This is a responsibility that we have. We cannot leave their training in knowing God, in righteousness, in all of those things. We cannot leave that to the public schools. You may realize that by now. We can't leave it to whatever these kids are looking at on their iPads because we don't have time. We can't leave it to those things. It's our responsibility. We can't even leave their training just to the one hour or so, hour and a half, depends how long I preach, down in Acts Kids that they get once a week. That's not enough. We are responsible to train them. The scriptures say this, this is Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. And these words which I commanded you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, diligently, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. This is the nature of how we're supposed to deal with our children if we're Christ followers, if we love God. We're teaching them all the time, all the time. Now, does that mean that you're literally reading the Bible and instructing them all the time? No. You know what? You're teaching them all the time because they're watching you. They're little sponges. You know, you've heard them say that word, and you're like, where did you hear that word? From you, Dad. I, I remember that. Was... Oh, you shouldn't have been listening to that. Uh, no, but they pick stuff up. They pick stuff up, right? We're teaching our children all the time. Our lives are a lesson to them. Every day, in every way, they're soaking it up. They're learning from us. We should be spending time 
being really intentional about what we're showing our children. And we should be showing them and teaching them from the scriptures what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Training them from the scriptures as soon as they're able to understand, which is pretty young. They can understand pretty young. I thank God for my father and my mother who taught me the scriptures from as early as I can remember. As early as I can remember, that's one thing that they did. They definitely taught me uh, from the scriptures. And that has been a heritage and a blessing for me to this day. It's actually a blessing to you if you're blessed by the teaching at this church because they started me young. They started me young, and we should be starting our children young. Proverbs 29, 17, correct your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We must correct our children in righteousness. When children are not corrected, you will not delight in them. No one will delight in them. Very familiar with what uncorrected children are like. They are not a delight. They're not a delight. I still love them. Not that delightful. They're not delighting your soul or anyone else's soul. Children need correction and training. And when we're faithful in that, when we're correcting them, when we're training them, they're going to come back to the truth, even if they wander from it. I wandered from the truth. I built a testimony, okay, at some point, where I wasn't walking with Christ at all. But what always was able to draw me back was that my parents had instilled in me the truth of the scriptures. And God used that as part of what he used to draw me back to him. If your children are trained right and corrected, they may wander. Some of you may be like, it's been a long wander. Listen, I don't know when. I don't know if it's at the moment of their death that they'll come back. But I truly believe that if they're trained in righteousness, it's not going to leave them. God's word doesn't return void. It's not going to leave them. They have it. It's a heritage that you can leave to them. I spent years walking away from what I knew was right. But that training that I had as a child brought me back to the saving, forgiving grace of Jesus Christ. And I needed it. I needed it. Now, be careful in your correction and your training. Here's a couple for you. Uh, Ephesians 6 Four, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Apparently, fathers need some specific training (laughs) about provoking children. We don't want to provoke our children to wrath or to discouragement. We want to build them up. We want to leave. This is just a little tip for you if you're parents. I know some of you don't have young kids, but some of you do. Leave the frustration, leave the anger aside going to happen. Little kids are going to frustrate the fire out of you, okay? That's when you go, stay there. And you go in the other room, ah! And you come back in peace, in righteousness, and you correct them in a way that honors them and honors God. They still need the correction, but watch that your correction doesn't provoke them. Correct them under control and in love for their own good. And for your good, and for the rest of our good, for goodness sakes. And your children are commanded to obey you. That's a big responsibility that you have. They're actually commanded to obey you. You have jurisdiction over your children. Jurisdiction means the ability to speak the law. Juris is law, diction, speak. You have the ability as a parent to speak the law. 
That is a serious obligation. It's not some sort of right that you get to use to order your children around, Dad. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, my own issues here. No, it's not, that's not what it is. It's jurisdiction to speak the law for the good of your children in your household. Huge, huge obligation. Because it can become oppression if you're not leading and guiding in truth and righteousness. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. My dad told me plenty of times, you ain't going to live long on the earth. You don't start doing what you need to be doing, right? I think he was telling the truth too. Uh, Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. This is a commandment. This is like 10 commandment stuff. This is, this is straight up. So this isn't just an obligation for your children. Yes, they should know that. Have them memorize that one, okay? But it's actually an obligation for you. Because if you're in charge, you're speaking the law, you better be a righteous judge. You better be a righteous lawgiver. And it's real easy to find because the law that you can find is all right here in the scripture. It's not up to your whims. Do not oppress and provoke your children. Now, children of any age that are in here, if you're still in the home of your parents, you're under their jurisdiction. It means you got to respect your parents. But they tell me to do things that I don't want. I don't care. I don't care. Get tough. You have to respect your parents. You're to honor your parents. Someday you might be a parent and you might want some of that honor coming back your way. You have an obligation to obey them. Now, I will give an aside. I'm not talking about obeying them if they're abusing you and oppressing you in unbiblical, unscriptural ways. If that's happening, let one of me or the elders know because we're going to hold your parents accountable. We're not going to allow children to be oppressed and abused in this church. That has no place in the church. But it's not oppressing and abusing you to give you a bedtime or to tell you to get off your dang phone. Or whatever it is they're telling you to do. Take out the trash. Get off your butts, kids. Okay? Did I say butts? Is that okay? We're going to say butts. It's in the lexicon. We're doing it. There's lots of times when you would prefer not to obey your parents, young people. Lots of times. <laughs> or lots of times when I didn't want to. But don't become little liars. I was a liar sometimes to my parents. They're just finding this out. They, <laughs> I think they knew so that I could do what I wanted. That's not respect, that's not honor. That's not what a young man or a young woman does. It's what a little kid does. Honor your parents, respect your parents. It's tough. It's tough to respect those we have to be in submission to. But remember this, you're obeying your parents because God has commanded you to obey. You're really obeying God. That's who you're obeying. It's not a request he's made, it's a commandment. Don't disrespect them. They're a gift to you. Your parents, kids, young people, your parents are a gift to you. If you have parents who love you, don't take that for granted. Not everybody did. Don't take that for granted. And parents, don't take for granted your responsibility and your obligations as the one who speaks the law in your home. You want them to respect you, be respectable. Care about your children. Love them. Put yourself aside for their sake. I know many of you do that, and that's wonderful. Now, I want to get into a different group now. Youth. Some of you are probably here who are youth. Some of you haven't been youth in a long time from what I can see. <laughs> Lights are a little better today, I can see out there. Some gray going on, I got a lot of that myself. Not, I'm a long way from youth myself. 
Um, this word is usually used in our culture to refer to adolescence and, and really anybody from about 12 or 13 through about 18 years old. Um, and I've, I've been asking myself this question. You know, we brought Patrick on recently as the youth kind of uh, lead person. And we've been kind of walking through, what is a youth? Like, not what does the world say a youth is, what is a youth? What does it mean to be a youth? How should we be raising youth? How should we be treating youth? And the answer, it, depend, it turns out, depends on kind of like what your experience was, as I ask people this, where you grew up, um, how old you are, what you think youth is, what you think children are, where you think that age is. Uh, for Jewish folks, uh, the time of becoming a man or a woman was about 12 for a woman, about 13 for a boy. You, you were at that point what we would call essentially an adult. You were responsible. You could read the Torah portions. You could do all that kind of stuff. They still do the bar mitzvah and bar mitzvah stuff, but I don't think they treat their kids because they live in our culture uh, like adults at that age. For people from my generation, I think we thought we were kind of in that sort of what we now call adult Somewhere between about 16 and 18, once we could drive and, you know, we're doing our own thing, we, you know, we, we felt more adult. We had a lot of responsibility. Uh, for generations before, that age may have even been younger, especially if you lived in like a uh, rural society where you worked on a farm or something, you're probably expected to act like a man or like a woman at a pretty young age. Today, we tend to allow younger pre people, I'm sorry, we tend to allow older people to act like younger people for a very long time. Like 25 years old or so is what they're saying. They're saying 25 is kind of the new adult. 25 is probably what 16 was 30 years ago. It's a pretty big jump. The reality of youth that we have as a culture is going further and further and further. Delayed adolescence. Further and further and further. But actually, because the law... Some of you know that, that I'm a repented lawyer, um, that I still do it. You know, there's money in that stuff. Uh, anyway, no. The law hasn't, because it takes longer to catch up, hasn't really still caught up with that idea that 25-year-olds are youth, okay? It's, it's really interesting. There's a rule, a common law rule, just common law, just rules that came down in court cases from England. It's been around for a long time, and there's a number of states in the United States that still use this as a general guide. It's called the rule of sevens. And the rule of sevens is a rule for crimes or torts. Now, if you're wondering what torts are, it's not something you eat. A tort is a civil wrong. Okay, so the thing you can be sued for. So uh, negligence or, you know, uh, assault and battery, you can get, that's a crime, but you can also be sued for money for that. Uh, you know, that type of thing. Those are called torts, okay? So crimes and torts. And this is the rule of sevens. It basically goes like this. If you're zero to seven years old, you're incapable of, of being responsible for a crime or a tort. That's the way the law was. You know, six-year-olds and so on, they, they didn't consider them able to commit crimes and torts, so they wouldn't be responsible for them. When you turned seven and went seven to 14, what they had was they had a rebuttable presumption, I'll tell you what that is in a second, that you were incapable, meaning we presumed, we assumed that you were incapable of committing a crime or a tort, having the having what you needed to in terms of your intent and so on to do that between 7 and 14. But you could rebut that presumption by showing that, that the young person 
was mature enough, did understand what they were doing, that kind of thing, and they could still be liable. Then you have from 14 to 21. And from 14 to 21, the assumption, the presumption is that you're just like any adult. You, have, you fully are capable. If you commit a crime or you do, in other words, you would try a 14-year-old as an adult because we, we would presume that they're capable of whatever an adult was capable of. Now, you could rebut that presumption by showing that, say, the 14 or the 15-year-old was particularly, had some particular issue that kept them from understanding what they were doing. That's really not important. My point is that by 14, we're pretty much considering that people should be able to act like a man or a woman, should be able to understand like a man or a woman. That's the way this, the law sort of built up. Traditionally, we've expected young people to start acting like men and women, or at least young men and women, somewhere right in there, 13, 14, 15 years old. <laughs> we don't even come close to that now. We look at them as children, total children. That's how our culture looks at them. In my research, I found out that in 32 out of 50 states, you can get married at 16 or younger. And in some, there was a state where it was like 12 or 13 with parental consent and a court order. But like you're 12 years old, like, mom, I want to get married. Like, that sounds like a reasonable thing, son. <laughs> Let's go to the court and get an order signed and you can go ahead and get married. That's, that's, the law is still there. That's still where the law is, 16. And we go, oh, 16. But you know what? It wasn't that long ago that getting married at 16 wasn't that uncommon. It just wasn't that uncommon. Why? Because 16-year-olds could handle themselves. They made it. They figured it out, right? We're all here. And I bet you look back in your line, you're going to find somebody in there that got married at 16 or 14 or 15. Probably lived in the South if they did. That's their more. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> According to the U.S. Department of Labor, a person can be in working, adult work, at 14 years old. There are some restrictions on hours and things like that. But 14 years old, you can start doing adult work. To some people today, this seems crazy. Because we have infantilized children. Why would we allow 14-year-olds to do adult work and 16-year-olds to get married? That's crazy. We must protect them. We must coddle them. I don't think so. They're capable of handling these things if they've been treated like they're capable of handling these things. You know, there's kind of a direct relation between what you tell somebody they're capable of and treat them like and what they're going to do. If I tell you you're a child, you're incapable of anything, I need to protect you and whatever, you're going to act like a child. For as long as that gravy train will last. Oh, so you'll do everything for me? There's no responsibility. When I make a mistake, I don't have to deal with the consequences. Mommy and daddy will take care of it. For as long as that will last. And apparently now, for a decent number of people, it's about 25 years old. 25 years old. Kick these kids out of your house, people. Take care of it, mommy. Right? But the, here's the thing. If you've always taken care of it, don't blame them. Don't blame them. You've shown them that's the way things are. We've treated them like that. We have not given them the tools to reach maturity at the age that they should be reaching maturity. Say we've just been moving towards this delaying adolescence, delaying adolescence, helicoptering our children, taking care of everything. We've been telling younger people when they're 14 and 15 and 18 years old that they're just children. Protect the children. According to the Federal Highway Administration, 61% of 18-year-olds had a driver's license in 2000, I think it was 2017, 61%.
1983, that number was 80.4%. In Tennessee, by the way, driver's license is a, you say them. This is weird. I want to tell you about this because this is really interesting. So if you say, do you have a driver's license? The other person would say, yes, I have them. It's a pronoun thing in Tennessee. They got this whole thing going on. I don't know why, if it's because there's an S, driver's license, that they think it's plural, but they act like the card in your wallet is a them. You'll be freaked out if you go there and you hear somebody talking about, do you have a driver's license? Yeah, I have them. Them? How many do you have? Just this one. Them. Here, here, here they are. I just, I had to tell you that. It's one of the weirdest things out there, okay? I have them. Okay. Look, this huge drop, 80%, now 60%. I'm telling you, you go a few more years, no one's going to get it. And there are people who are saying, make them wait till they're 21 to get a driver's license. 21? I ain't taking them to soccer practice. <laughs> right? At some point, it's like, get the, uh, do your own thing, Right? but we don't give them the tools to do it. And then they aren't mature enough to do it. And we go, look, they're not mature enough to do it. Well, if you don't treat them like a little infant, maybe they would be. Susan Vanderplug grew up in South Dakota with the other four people. <laughs> she got her driver's license when she was 14. And so did everybody else. She's still here. Driving to school, probably had a gun in the back. I don't, you know, you know how they are in South Dakota. Look, when my son was 14, I wouldn't let him ride his bike very far because I was concerned about all these things, and I didn't let him grow up in the way that he did, that he, that he should have, that I should have, in biblical pace. We treat these young people like it's their fault that they won't get jobs and act like adults, and we didn't give them the tools to become adults. We didn't give them the opportunities to learn how to be adults. And we've been doing this in the church, too. Since about the 70s or so, we have been doing something that we generally refer to as youth group. And at Axe Church, we've been pretty serious about making sure they get strong teaching there. But youth group kind of as a, an idea is often based around attractional, trying to attract young people in with the food and the games and the whatever and hope that we can kind of slip the gospel in. We've majored on the minors and minored on the majors. If we just get them here, maybe we'll get them saved. We're sure not going to get them discipled with pizza and chips, but maybe we can get them saved. And I'm I'm not saying every church. I'm just saying there's kind of this idea that was going on. By the way, that's happening in big people church too, Um, without the pizza usually, but sometimes there's lions and tigers involved from what I've heard. I don't know. There's more than attraction involved in the gospel. I don't care if you are attracted to it. It's the truth. You should be attracted. If you're not attracted to it, you need to fix yourself. I don't need to fix it. And that's how we should be with young people as well. Now, there have been great organizations like Young Life and and Youth for Christ and things like that that were parachurch, outside the church, that have reached kids and done Bible studies with kids and stuff like that. But within the church, we've separated them out, right, from about, you know, age 13 or so to 18. We've put them in a separate little place, treated them like children, like they can't make their own decisions. If they turn 18, you know what they do? They They look at the rest of the church and they go, where do I fit in here? And they leave, right? And then they got to go through this process of growing up, and then maybe some of them come back when they feel like they can handle it. Instead of treating them like we should, which is you're ready to integrate as soon as you start acting like you're ready to integrate, and you'll start acting like what you want to integrate when we start treating you like you're capable of acting like you should be integrated into the main body of the church. 
That's how it should be. We're working on this right now, trying to figure out what is our ministry to young people going to look like. And it needs to look a lot more like transitioning them into acting like adults at a much younger age than having 18-year-olds playing chubby bunny. For those of you who don't know what chubby bunny is, you stick marshmallows in your mouth one at a time, you try to say chubby bunny, okay? That's how that works. Classic youth group game, okay? Classic. But is that what church should look like for an 18-year-old woman or man? Chubby bunny. Look, there's nothing wrong with Chubby Bunny, and there's nothing wrong with the church wanting to attract people into it. We're fishers of men. I understand that. But we can get sideways in all of this. And when we do, what we do is we infantilize young people. We make them look like infants. We've got to be careful. We need to treat young people like they're capable of studying the Scriptures and knowing them, reading them. As a congregation, we need to start treating them as young men and women so they start thinking about themselves as young men and women. So they start taking responsibility for themselves at earlier and earlier age. Earlier and earlier ages. Because there is an army rising up and we need them. We need them. Look, they have things to teach us. They have gifts and abilities. They shouldn't have to wait until they're 25 to start becoming who they are. We have this whole age now where they're like, people are figuring out who they are. Listen, I'll tell you who you are. You were intended to be a man or woman of God, and that is not based on what America says the age of whatever is. That's based on as soon as you're capable of it, you're in. And I start expecting from you what I would expect from anyone else. If you're a young person, hear this. Don't allow yourself to be treated like a child. Start becoming a young man or young woman. I view you as capable. Our children, they're being attacked. They're being attacked, particularly by what's happening online. You know that they have fewer friends. They spend less time in face-to-face interactions with people, and they spend more time on their phones these days. Were you aware of that? Probably. You see like three, even when they get together, they're all like on looking deep into each other's iPhones, right? (laughs) That's what they're doing, right? The horrible truth of it is we don't raise them as young men or young women with maturity and experience and giving them the tools, and then we hand them these things, which takes an incredible amount of maturity to handle. If you have a smartphone and you are not mature, Almost certainly this is a source of sin in your life. Bottom line. Even if you are mature, you're having to make sure it doesn't become a source of sin in your life. Whether that's wasting time, spending way too much time on social media or whatever it is. And we're giving these to kids at like eight and nine years old. Can you imagine when you were eight? Older people I'm talking to next. Some of you are like, yeah, I had one when I was eight. Those of us who didn't even have these until we were full-on adults, that there was no, I mean, even regular, like the big, hello, you know, the break. We didn't have that stuff until we were, like, older. The internet, there's no internet. We just had to go play with our friends. There's this whole thing, by the way, kids, it's called outside. It's amazing. It's amazing. But we're giving them this and expecting them to act like adults. They can't act like adults. You haven't given them the tools. I haven't given them the tools. We haven't given them the tools. 
You as parents, us as the church, our job is to make them so they actually have the maturity to deal with one of these. And probably I'm coming more and more to the conclusion that the most mature thing to do with one of these is to toss it. I'm getting more and more to that place, but I got to play my games, you know. (laughs) A lot of older adults don't show the maturity to use these, and we're handing them to 10 and 11-year-olds. Do good. Don't be naughty. Okay, mom. Come on. Listen to this from an article from the World Happiness Report, okay? It's called, this, this article is called The Sad State of Happiness in the United States and the Role of Digital Media by Gene M. Twenge. Over the last decade, the amount of time adolescents spend on screen activities, especially digital media, such as gaming, social media, texting, and time online, has steadily increased, accelerating after 2012 after the majority of Americans owned smartphones. By 2017, the average 12th grader, 17 to 18 years old, spent more than six hours a day of leisure time on just three digital media activities, internet, social media, and texting. By 2018, 95% of United States adolescents had access to a smartphone, and 45% said they were online almost constantly. During the same time period that digital media use increased, adolescents began to spend less time interacting with each other in person, including getting together with friends, socializing, and going to parties. Thus, the way adolescents socialize has fundamentally shifted, moving toward online activities and away from face-to-face social interaction. Other activities that typically do not involve screens have also declined. The only activity adolescents have spent significantly more time on during the last decade is digital media. Listen, if you're a young person, listen. This can be useful. People, communication, relationship, that's what life's about. Being with people who you look in their eyes and laugh with them. Fight with them. Whatever you got to do, be with people. Do things with people. That's what's going to grow you up. You can't. This is not real. The stuff that people are putting on here, it's not real. Just woke up, no filters. Bull. (laughs) You think we believe that? Take it from here. Make sure I get the cleavage in. Let's not pretend like we haven't seen this. I've never done that. Cut, whatever. It's not real. People are real. You want to be depressed and sad? You want to be depressed and sad? You just keep living your life, the fake life online. It, it, it's going to destroy. I'm going to show you some stuff. I'm going to show you a graph. Don't put it up yet. Um, there's a pink line. It's going to represent the increase between 2016 and 2017 in Internet use among teens in the United States. Let's go ahead and throw that up there. Now, if you look at 2012, you see this sharp increase. This is when, like, most people ended up with smartphones. So it's just going up. Now, don't put this next one up yet, but the next one you're going to see is the decline in the amount of sleep teenagers were getting during that same period signified by the yellow line. Go ahead and throw that one up. Seems a little correlative. The next one you're going to see is the decline in social interaction. Go ahead and throw that one up. Purple line. The last one you're going to see, and hang on to this one, you're going to see a blue line, and this is going to show the reported happiness of teenagers over the same period of time. Watch the blue line. Go ahead. Look at that. (laughs) Look at the drop from 2016 to 2017. I mean, it's just, and my guess is 2018, 19, 20, 21, it's still going down, and that's still going up. All right, you can take this stuff off. It makes me sad. 
the internet is destroying our young men and women, partially because we have given them the tool without giving them the tools to use the tool. We haven't taught them how to be mature. We've treated them like children, and then we've given them a tool that at best is meant for very mature adults. From the same article, there's this quote. Several studies have found that adolescents and young adults who spend more time on digital media are lower in well-being. For example, girls spending five or more hours a day on social media are three times more likely to be depressed than non-users. And heavy, inter- user, heavy internet users versus light users are twice as likely to be unhappy. Sleeping, face-to-face, social interaction, and attending religious services are instead linked to more happiness. You want to have more happiness? Get more sleep, face-to-face social interaction, and attending religious services. Congratulations if you're here. Those are linked to more happiness. And I would say that's not just for young people. That's for all of us. We need to, yeah, we're made for relationship. We're made for relationship. You are made in the image and likeness of God. So are these other people. We're made to be, we're, we're made to know God and each other. You have this vertical and this horizontal. It's how it works. When you don't do that and you skip all that and you go to this fake thing that's online, you're just, you're just not experiencing life. You're experiencing a, a weird facsimile of what life is like. Like, what does facsimile mean? It's something that's trying to be the same. Like a fax machine? Never comes out like the sheet that you send. You guys don't probably remember fax machines. <laughs> We were still faxing everything in Tennessee when I left there in 2015. Everything was faxed. No email. It was weird. Okay. Um, listen, we need to start treating young men and young women like young men and young women. We got to do it. They're not just bigger children. They're not children. They're young men and young women. Now, I'm running out of time, but I, I, this is important that we hear this. Young men and young women and their parents and the rest of this church, all of whom are responsible together to help these families. Listen, young men and young women are made in the image and likeness of God. God has said that they're special, and they do not have to get to a certain age to start being special. And they're expected to act like young men and young women, and God will be with them in that. Listen to this, Jeremiah 1, 4 through 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet of the nations. By the way, if you're wondering about abortion, it's all right there. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet of the nations. I don't want to get off on that, but I could go for a long time on that. Then I said, this is, then, then said I, this is what Jeremiah says, Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go. To all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Don't say, I'm a youth. I can't do it. God has said you can. 1 Timothy 4, 12-13. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to, the read- to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. What's, what are you supposed to do? Be an example to believers. In what ways? All kinds of ways. Conduct, word, love, spirit, faith, purity. We're supposed to be able to look to you just like you look to us. You're supposed to be sharpening us just like we sharpen you. You are not a little child. 
If you're a teenager, we want to teach you how to woman up and how to man up. We want you to understand who you are. We're not going to have a bunch of people coming out of this church and waiting until they're 25 years old to get their driver's license and move out of mommy's house. We're going to create men and women because that's what you are. And we're just going to recognize what God has made you. I got a bunch more, guys, but I'm going to, we're, we're going to, now we're 1129. I'm already late. Ah, oh, listen. Yeah, I may come back to a little bit next. We'll see what happens. I love you guys. I want, I want you to spend some time this week thinking about what we've talked about this morning, what we've studied this morning, because listen, we have got to break away from the church being led about the way we think about ourselves and our young people by what the world is saying about ourselves and young people. We've got to break away from that. We have to be our own thing. What is the point of coming here if it's not something different, if we don't have the answers? But we do have the answers. Band, you can come on up here. We do have the answers. We have got to stop letting the world lead the church when the church should be a light to the world. And that starts with the way we're going to treat our young people. And we're, and we're thinking about how to do it well because we don't have necessarily a great example out there that I know of right now for how to do this really well. But it is our responsibility. We are not going to have 70% or whatever it is of people when they're 18 leaving the church and a lot of them to never come back and become nuns. I have no religious faith. That's not going to be the heritage of this group, of this body. So let's make sure, be in prayer about that. How do we help these young people? How do we help them from their depression, their suicide attempts, all the things that are happening because they spend all their time on these devices and they don't know what it's like to love God and to love other people and to be around other people and to be treated like the young men and women they are.